Hey, you done with PPG? PPG, I'm entertaining. That's what they're all saying. It's so fun that the other fights are fading. Yes, P is for Pavage. It's for Glada Lada Simpo. The first P. Well, that's Rick. Hello, everyone. This is Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. Right now, we have Andrew Fuller on the phone. He is the main designer and engineer of the SkyTap Paramotors frame called Angel. You probably heard about it. It's really super safe. It's great for beginners. And it's really totally awesome for everybody in between, including intermediate and advanced. And welcome, Andrew. How's it going? Man, I am doing so great. It's so awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, I bought the Angel frame from you because I wanted something really super safe. Because being a newbie paramotor out there, you know, the first thing I started to look around was, you know, a safety of the wing and safety of the frame. Now, one of the first things that I noticed too is that, you know, you go out there and it's like, oh, there's uh, different paramotors like Scout. Parajet's a big one. Uh, Skymax is coming up. Blackhawk has been around for 15 years. You got Sky Cruiser, Skymax, um, MacFly, PAP, a whole bunch of them. Now, when newbies hear all this, what do people think? I, I believe because I'm more of a newbie than you are, because you've been flying for how long? Uh, eight years. Eight years. And you've also done instructing too, right? So you're an instructor in the past. Yes. And you instructed newbies and advanced, including SIV courses? So, yeah. So in our tow club, I do, I guess I take care of the SIV instruction part of it inside of our tow club, but it's private. Okay. But I don't do any public advanced training. Flying in general is pretty safe, but it's still the most dangerous thing I do that I don't have to do, you know, as safe as it is. Because it's really hard to kill yourself on one of these things because we move so slow. And when you start getting close to the ground, normally you start doing things to where if you have an accident, you have it a lot slower. But what I noticed over the years is how much more comfortable I feel on a safe, rigid frame that's built in a way to protect me from hitting the ground or skipping off the ground or even starting up the motor safely or landing in water. So I noticed that the market was starting to go really lightweight. And with a lot of other paramotor frames, a lot of things are very similar with them, like the thrust point, the balance point, the swing arms are practically interchangeable on most swing arm frames. And everybody was kind of going the lightweight route. And uh, really what they're giving up is cage strength for for less metal to make it a little bit lighter but you're you're only talking about like a three four pound difference maybe a five pound difference in like a frame like ours and a frame that's one of the lightest ones on the market so that wasn't a significant enough um change in weight to justify losing a lot of that safety and a lot of that strength so yeah we went the other way and we didn't make it any heavier but we just made sure we built it in a way and with certain techniques like heat treating to make it nice, strong and rigid while still being relatively lightweight. But most important thing is keeping the pilot safe. For me, I think part of the reason I was able to advance um, to skill level on that now is because I was able to train comfortably on a frame that I knew would save me. So if I was training acro over water and something happened, I could get out of it with my quick release harness practicing things like foot drags and wingtip drags and doing and doing low stuff if i hit the ground um 
chances are I'm not even going to break my gear. And if I do break my gear, chances are it saved me from being hurt. So it's a, I think that's the most important part is the safety aspect of flying. If you can, once you get the safety, then you can worry about the other parts of flying. What kind of background do you have that you could design such a frame? Because I know that I've watched some videos out there where people are putting together a frame, slapping on a motor and flying it. So why would someone want to buy a frame like yours opposed to getting some ENT, bending in a big hoop, putting some netting around it, and mounting a motor? Well, I guess something that goes into the experience. Uh, usually when what I've noticed is when people try and build their own paramotors, they end up coming out at like like eight to ten thousand dollars for just the frame of building their own one. Just because it, it looks real easy on paper. And then once you start getting into it, <clears throat> like uh, I think Kyle Lagoli is a good example. He built he built his own custom frame, and it took him a took him a good while to do it. And then I think when it was done, he said it cost him like eleven thousand dollars, I think. And um, but also when you break that frame, now you got to take it back to the shop, and you have to refabricate a one off piece to. You know, you'll be down. You won't be able to fly for at least a month if you break a piece. So ours, what we did was we took the already, an already existing frame and all the experience from all the other frames I've tested out over the years and also meeting with a couple of the manufacturers of other frames and kind of got our own little idea of what we wanted to do. So I think we went through four different prototype frames. When it comes to frames, I hear things like crumple zone, fix hang points, comfort bars, swing arms. Can you go through those four things and, and kind of explain? Yeah, J-bars, swing arms, and comfort bars. Okay. J-bars are for high hang points. And they basically, it's a bar that comes out under your arm, and then it, it comes upwards like a J. And then they have a strap that runs from the top of that J-bar to the top of your shoulder strap, and it's a high hang point. Though nobody does that anymore. Okay, wait, real quick, what is a hang point? Hang point is where your carabiner goes, and that is where the paraglider attaches. So the risers clip in to the carabiners, which are connected to the hang point. Yeah, okay. or the carabiners are your hang point. And the, one of the issues with J-bars, or high hang points, is there's nothing to keep the risers from touching each other, except for weight. Doesn't that make it like like a possible riser twists? Yes, possible riser twists, and and um, and that's if you get into trouble with the deflation, and that's also on takeoff with prop torque. If you're looking through internet crash videos, a lot of the ones, almost every single video you see where somebody takes off and launches, and the glider kind of stalls out and and spins. Uh huh. Almost every single one of those is a high is a high hang point. Mm. J-bar system. And it's because the the motor's torquing hard one direction and the pilot's countering with brake in the other direction and it loses its airspeed until the glider goes into a negative spin. Um, and that's, that's, a, yeah, that's a J-bar. That's the J-bar one. Now, you can do that on any frame, but it's, oh, it's harder to do it on comfort bars and swing arms. On J-bars, you're, you're kind of asking for it. So that... People stop making J-bar... I think except for Fresh Breeze, 
people stopped making the J bar setups and the high hang point setups probably five years ago. Okay, and and real quick too, you were talking about prop torque. What is what is prop torque? When when the propeller spins, it creates momentum, and it torques whatever the propeller is attached to in that direction. Like on a helicopter, uh -huh. the helicopter, the main blade, you know, creates lift, but it also creates so much torque that they have to have a tail rotor uh. to count on the torque. And they also they offset um, airplane engines on like small like single engine Cessnas to counter prop torque. On boats, they have prop torque, which is why when you have two engines, they counter-rotate, or one of them is counter-rotating, so they're, so the propeller torque offsets the other one. Okay, so torquing is pretty much anything that spins. Even your fan has some torque in, in yep. your room. Yep. Okay, so the propeller turns one way, and so the torque is the other way. Yep, propeller turns counterclockwise, and then you, you torque right. Each action there's a equal and opposite reaction yep ah, i think i remember that from school <laughs> and there's uh there's a couple ways to counter prop torque uh the way that we like to do it is with atls anti-torquinels and they uh they basically redirect the airflow going in through the netting before it gets hit by the prop so when it comes out by the prop, it comes out straight. So just like uh, a series of fins that you line the outside of your netting with, and it counters the air going in, and the result is pretty much straight flight all the way up to about 80% throttle. After 80% throttle, you have to wait a little bit. You want them to redirect the air the, the opposite direction that your prop spins. Yeah, this one says I got 15 counterclockwise and 15 clockwise. So you're going to want the clockwise. Okay. Now, real quick, when it comes to frames, your frame is called the angel frame. So when you design the angel frame, you can put any type of harness that you want on there and any type of motor that you want on there, and you can still call it the angel frame, right? The angel paramotor. So you right now have the Viterazzi 185s? Yep. And if you wanted to put, I don't know, a Thor on there and uh, maybe even somebody else's um, harness, it's still an angel paramotor, right? Oh, yeah. So when newbies hear, you know, Scout and all these other things, all it is is their frame with somebody else's motor and possibly somebody else's throttle or harness, right? Right, yeah, when somebody says they have a scout, we assume and are accurate 99% of the time that there's a Viterazzi as the engine on that scout. Only in a few circumstances, and probably really only over in Europe, will they have a different engine on there than the Viterazzi. Okay, and so... It used to, it used to be the EOS 100, and I think now they might have the, the top 80. But, yeah, if you have a scout, you got a Viterazzi. But if you put a Polini Thor 250, it's then it would just be a Scout with the Polini Thor 250. Okay, I hear a lot of things like Viterazzi. My 20 is their new one. Oh, they have a My 20. Yeah, they have a My 20 just came out. Wow, what's the difference between the the My 19 and the My 20? The exhaust. So it doesn't crack. 
we'll see. <laughs> Interesting. So what are there other names out there that are the engineers or manufacturers of motors for paramotors? So I think the other big one that used to be a little bigger is used to. Now it's nowhere close. Is is the uh, Corsair, and they make the Black Devil 172, and they also make I think a 130, and then they make a a Black Bull, which is like a 230 cc. Um, and then there's EOS or EOS, and they make a 100 and a 150 cc, and they're trying to come out with a four stroke. That's been in the uh, that's been in the works for a couple of years now. Ah, thank you for for bringing up four stroke. So, what's the difference between for newbies? What's the difference between a two stroke and a four stroke? Well, a two stroke is lighter and creates more power with the with less cc's and less weight. But they're I guess there's really nothing to compare to. There's no there's no four stroke engines on the market for foot launch, so it's kind of harder to say which one's more reliable. Right. But so generally speaking, four stroke the four strokes are more reliable. Okay, and two stroke you put oil in the gasoline, and four stroke they have the um, oil that you put actually into the engine itself. Yep, in the crankcase. Yeah. Okay, so if somebody gets a two stroke, they better make sure they add what kind of oil to the gasoline you, you it's got to be the two-stroke oil i do i do synthetic and i use redline redline two-stroke oil uh-huh. and it's uh it's pretty, it's pretty expensive stuff but you know that's that's the lubrication for your the inside of your engine so i uh i go with the expensive stuff but yeah and then i also run a really high ratio uh i run a 32 to 1 ratio on my, on my Vitarazzi's. And, and some people run like 40, I've seen all the way up to 55 to one. Okay. Um, but I've, the only time I've ever had problems with my Vitarazzi ever was when I switched off of a 32 to one oil ratio. Ah. So, yeah, so now I keep it, and, I, and we don't have, we haven't had any of our exhaust crack on our frames actually with these Vitarazzi's. And I have a buddy, he's pretty mechanically inclined, and he's got a, he's got a pretty good idea of why that is. And it's, it's making sense, and it's proven itself to work, actually. What we do with our, our motor plate, what we mount the motor to, instead of having our four motor mounts between the motor plate and the engine, we put our motor mounts between the frame and the plate, and we attach the engine directly to the plate and our motor mounts are actually twice as wide as they would normally be and they're a little bit higher and a little bit lower so it really dampens out the vibration do you think also too and this is what i've heard and i've done this also is i let my motor run on my rack on the back of the jeep for at least five minutes so the entire thing is definitely warmed up before I even, you know, 
bring it out there to, to go for a launch. Do you think warming it up really well like that will also keep it from, from cracking? What I've heard is that, you know, people, you know, start it up and then they go full throttle and the cold exhaust warms up so quick that it cracks. What do you think about that? I think I, it's definitely good to let it warm up. I always let my motor warm up. How long? Never, um, usually um, it's about a minute. Like normally it's a minute before I touch it. And then after that, however long, while I'm hooking up or whatever. But it's usually at least a minute. And when we break our motors in, when we sit there with them, we notice it takes about a minute for them to get nice and hot. So. Okay. So me doing it for five minutes. Uh, I think the one of the reasons why I do it for five minutes is just to make sure that there's no air in the fuel line. Um, right. And that seems to... to that, to me, that seems to work because I have not gone for a launch and stalled out yet. Okay. Yet. Right. Um, so, I don't like it to sit for five minutes and run because like on dirt bikes, if you let them idle for too low for too long, then it'll gum up the spark plug. Mm. So, if it is sitting there, like let's say it's been like two minutes and I'm still messing around with something, I'll give it a little rev. I'll rev it up, you know? And try and deep on that spark plug. Okay, so you think it's better just to let it run for about one minute instead of five minutes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, usually, I know this doesn't sound orthodox, but I start my motor on the ground. And, you know, it doesn't, it's sitting there idling. And then I'll, you know, nobody's anywhere close to my motor. It's just sitting there idling. I put the throttle in the seat and then I go set up my wing. And then I come back over, and I just sit in the motor, put the motor on, stand up, walk over, and launch. And it usually takes me about a minute to pull my glider out of the bag and, and set her up and then throw my bag in the, in the truck. So. so now that you talked about starting it on the ground, there's kind of some controversy out there. Is, you know, should you start on the ground, on the rack, on your back? What would you suggest? The safest way by far is on the rack. Now, obviously, if you're doing cross-country, you can't put it on a rack. Right. And if you can't start it with on your back, you've actually come up with some pretty good uh, startup protection. Could you explain that? Yeah, so we have, um, we have a place that you put your hand for holding on to the frame that doesn't let your hand slip through and get to the prop. And it actually it'll lock down on your hand, so it's not it's not coming free. And then our netting is 500 pound test Kevlar, so even if you stick your hand up on the netting, you can actually hold back the thrust of the motor, probably twice as much as the thrust of the motor with just the netting. So if you you know because reactions when things happen, people stick their hands up to block their face. So that'll prevent elbows and shoulders or you know, anything that's gone through, it'll, it'll stay on the other side of the netting. And, uh, we also have on our comfort bars, they stick out from the frame. So if the frame does come forward on you, it's not going to crush you against the ground. You can actually, it'll lean at about a 45 degree angle on those comfort bars and you're nice and protected behind the frame, behind the netting or in front of the frame, in front of the netting to where you can't get to the propeller and you can actually, figure out how you're going to turn the motor off at that point okay and then also our our throttle 
has, is uh, we use we're one of the few throttles that's push pull. So most throttles, their cable is push only from the carburetor spring. And what some people will do is they'll put an extra spring on the carburetor to kind of help push it out, but it's still trying to push a, a throttle cable through the housing. Ours, we have a spring inside of our our actual throttle, and it it pulls the throttle cable up and pushes the trigger, you know, pulls the trigger out while pulling it while pushing it from the carburetor. So it's push pull. It also that, it also has yeah. a trigger lock. Also has a trigger like a safety, yeah, like on a like on a Glock. <sighs> Because I because I noticed that when I put mine, uh, I I started on the rack unless you know I mean I haven't gone cross country yet, so I start on the rack and I pull the trigger and make sure that the carburetor goes forward and backward 100 percent, and then when it comes back I make sure that the trigger is locked in the uh, in the neutral or the starting position, and okay. so when I pull the when I pull it to start I know it's not going to go full throttle. There's just no way, right? Right. Also, too, when starting, a lot of people are recommending, because it is possible for it to go full throttle, to also wear your helmet. So wear your helmet, put it on a rack, and you have a pretty good chance of not cutting off part of your body. Right. Um, it's different. I don't suggest for most people to start their frames the way I start my frame, because our frame is, is there's a lot put into ground starting protection. Um when you go out to fly-ins, all these people that are really adamant about don't start it on the ground, you'll see half of those guys starting it on the ground at a fly-in. As soon as something happens, as soon as somebody blows a launch, they all pull it off their back, they all put it on the ground, they all start it. Um, or they walk out on the field and they can't, they can't get it started while it's on their back, and somebody else has to come over and pull on the line to get it to start. And that's really dangerous for that other person. What if they put their hand on your shoulder and pull it? That's where I do it. Okay. I put it on my, I, I grab their harness. Um, but there's no place to put your hand. You can't put it on the netting. You can't put it on the spokes. Um, that's one of the scariest things I've actually, probably the scariest thing I ever do in the sport. And I do it at every, every fly-in, you know, try not to leave somebody hanging, is when their motor won't start on their back. Rather than have them walk it back over to their rack or whatever, you, you walk just walk over there and I, I look at their throttle and make sure they're not squeezing it because a lot of people just out of reaction they curl their hand up and uh, yes, and then I pull it and then I get away real quick. Gotcha. Um, so I've actually had one of my buddies who um, on a, on like your standard frame with your standard netting, he started it on his back and it went to full throttle. And it pushed him up against uh, something like a chair or something inside of his garage. And it pushed his head, pushed the frame spokes into the prop. And then the prop, you know, basically blew up when it hit the frame and shot carbon fiber all over the place. And, uh, and he ended up in the hospital that night. It was on, it was on Valentine's day. Oh my God. Yeah. So he started, he did everything that everybody told him. So, you know, start it on your back. Start, and I told him, I was like, if you're going to fly a frame like that, no protection, you got to get a rack and you got to start it on a rack. And, um, he was, he was really ambitious about flying and, and he, you know, he was good. He was talented. And I told him, I was like, look, man, you have to be safe about certain things 
or you're going to scare yourself out of the sport if you, you know. And sure enough, when that happened, he tried to fly a few more times after that, and nothing ever felt right. He was always nervous about something. He'd land and say something didn't feel right. He'd ask me to fly his frame for him. I would fly his frame for him. Everything seemed fine. Um, and he just ended up selling his gear. Oh, so, that's, that's but yeah, starting it on your back is not this doesn't put you in a much safer spot. Because if you think about it, if we put a motor on your back and we start it and it gets pegged at full throttle, there's not a whole lot you can do to get out of it except for stick the prop in the dirt. Which is gonna which is gonna mean you either turtling or you throwing a throwing a shoulder down. I don't even, I don't even think that's possible. I mean when I when I have the uh, when I have the motor on my back and I you know you go to full throttle just to make sure that you don't have any air bowls and it does mm -hmm. go full throttle. Uh, it takes everything that I have you know, for me to go full throttle for just like 10 seconds. I know. And you and, and can you imagine when you're more concentrating on pulling that line than you are about what's about to happen? It'll catch you off guard and pick you up right off your feet or push you right off your feet. And going back to the torque thing, if it does go full throttle, it could torque you around. It could spin you around, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's more of that. It's more of that thrust, you know, that 150, 160 pounds of thrust. Like, and depending on what your frame is, too. So, like, on your frame, on the Angel, the thrust point is really low. Um, on a lot of other frames, the thrust point is really high because the, the motor sits a lot higher on their back. And you got to think of, like, when you're trying to push, like, let's say, you know, somebody's car stalls out in the road and you're trying to push that car. You know, so you got your back up against the car. Uh -huh. You have the lower part of your back up against the car pushing on it for, like, a lower bracing point you know oh so when he's talking about thrust point this is a good way of kind of understanding what thrust point is when you're pushing a car with your back okay go ahead and continue that's awesome yeah you don't you don't push the car with like the top of your shoulder blades um which is where a lot of thrust points are you push it with like the middle of your back interesting a lot easier to hold back than these other frames if you look at the other frames when they go to full throttle to warm them up they, a lot of times they bend over and put their hands on their knees and just shoot the thrust. They just shoot the thrust like almost straight up. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because the, the leverage point of it being so much higher is difficult to resist if it goes to full throttle. Now, I know that we took a couple tangents because we started with the J bars and then you're going to go to comfort uh, cripple zone and then sway arms. Yeah. Oh, oh one more thing on the... Uh, on the thrust line. Yes. When it's low and it's fixed tank point on like the angel, like on the flat top, there's, um, when you start taking off and the glider starts creating lift and it starts pulling on the whole paramotor frame and it's a low thrust point, the frame stays pretty level through, throughout the takeoff. And what you'll see on a lot of other frames where they have a higher thrust point is when that glider starts to lift up a little bit, it um, the whole frame will torque. So the pilot's trying to take off, and the whole frame torques off to the side, and you can you can see it. Pay, you, pay attention when, when people are flying the conventional conventional swing arm frames when they take off. Right as they get to like right before they're going to take off, you can see the whole motor torquing up on their back. Mm. So it's just it's another thing for launching. Like it's easier it's easier to resist. 
the thrust or control the thrust when it's lower than it is when it's higher. Gotcha. Now, I bought a used pair motor, and uh, I just bought your frame and the throttle and the harness. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this uh, Viterazzi 185 Classic that's on the back of this and put it on the frame, on the angel frame. Mm -hmm. So that kind of cut my cost, you know, uh, just getting your angel frame and a, and a used motor. It really cut my cost uh, instead of just getting a brand new angel paramotor. So oh, yeah. that, that was pretty good for me. Uh, really, thank you for that thrust point thing. That's one of the questions I had on there for you was the thrust point. And we talked about J-bars, and then there's what, crumple zone and sway arms? Oh, yeah, we got to do swing arms and and fixed. And uh, fixed hang points, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so the next one after the J-bars, the really common one, are swing arms. And that's what just about every frame has. Swing arms. I think I was calling them sway arms. Yeah, yeah, swing arms. Okay. They're um, a couple. So when you have the swing arms, they're not as wide. The frames tend not to be as wide, so there's not as much room in there for bigger guys. And they they have a fulcrum point on the back of the swing arm, which is attached to the main frame. And the way that you'll that you weight shift with swing arms is you get one swing arm to come up, and you get the other one to go down, and that changes where the pressure is on the glider but the problem with that is one if you're a little guy it's it's harder to weight shift so bigger guys can weight shift um a lot easier in swing arm stuff mm -hmm. but also you have to do some weird stuff. like if you're leaning to like your left then you're it it'll weight shift better if you lift up your right leg and then you push down on your left leg because you're switching your putting pressure on different points in the harness, which is going to put pressure, which is going to move the swing arms up and down. That's like crossing your legs and leaning, the, the kind of like what we see people do on videos on YouTube. A lot of people fly with their ankles crossed, uh -huh. and it's, it's, a, it's actually a style thing. And I apparently completely missed this. I guess it was because I... Um, don't care, <laughs> but I completely missed how important that is to a lot of people at fly-ins. Like I, I talked to certain pilots and I'm like, what is it with this leg crossing thing you guys are all talking about? And they're like, oh dude, when I fly alone, I, I don't worry about that stuff. When I'm in a fly-in though, I make sure I do it the whole time. And I guess, you know, I know what it does do when you cross your leg, just your ankles, is it actually puts your mind in a more comfortable position like a more calm position. So if you're coming in and you're lining up a landing, mm -hmm. keeping your feet crossed um, up until you need to pull them out, is a pretty good method for staying calm uh -huh. uh, with newer guys. But in flight flying, I, I like to have my feet. I, I, I don't think I've ever crossed my feet. I mean, if I do, I wouldn't pay attention. But I like to have my feet free because the way I weight shift is I like, I'll make a lot of really small weight shift movements to to be very precise on where I want to go. Whereas a lot of people they either weight shift weight shift right, like I'll weight shift just just a little bit into weight shift and weight shift right out right out of it. I actually I'll I'll act a pilot with my weight shifting just to keep from pulling brakes and slowing down the glider. So usually I weight shift before I even 
pool break. And, uh, and, and is, is, that, is that the uh, swing arms you're talking about or the fixed hang points you're talking about? It's a little harder to be act, to be precise with the swing arms. Okay. Because because it's um because you're pulling one leg up and pushing one leg down, it's kind of hard to be precise and smooth with it. So that's why, like on the angel, we have the fixed hang points, and the fixed hang points is the closest weight shift to free flight. Because in free flight, when you want to weight shift, you just roll your weight to one side. There's no lifting up certain legs and pushing other legs down. You you just roll your body that way and it shifts the entire frame. So with swing arms, it only shifts the pilot and the harness, whereas the thrust point and the whole frame don't weight shift. And, but not only do they not weight shift, they stay on the normal path. So like going into a turn with swing arms, initiating a turn and then hitting the throttle while you're in the turn mixed in with that, that thrust point issue. And then, and then that, your swing arms are facing a different direction than your motor is, is not near as comfortable or doesn't feel as good and doesn't seem as effective as when you have a fixed hang point system where you roll your hips just like you would in free flight and it changes and weight shifts the entire frame, you know, the weight of the engine, the weight of the frame, the weight of the pilot, the weight of the harness, everything weight shifts in the thrust line. They all stay together rather than having the pilot and the harness moving independently from the thrust line and the frame and the engine. And that's exactly what I fly. I fly fixed hang point. And I've never flown the J-bars, never flown the, the swing arms. And, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've seen it, you know, in different fly-ins, but it doesn't, I have no idea how it feels. All I know is the fixed hang points, uh, it feels like I sit in a uh, recliner up in the air. It's easy to launch, easy to land. And I guess one of the big things I really like about uh, solid frames is that crumple zone. Now, what exactly is a crumple zone and why am I so glad that I have such a thing? Well, actually, the crumple zone directly ties into fixed hang points, as does a lot of the safety, like some of the startup safety as well. But crumple zone have the frame built a certain way, um, which is usually you have to have the front nice and rounded, and then you have to have it heat treated as well so there's not weak spots from welds mm -hmm. and you have to have a certain amount of that frame underneath the pilot's butt when at the lowest point so you might have some you might have a frame that has some material has some of the frame underneath the pilot's butt but it's swing arms mm -hmm. so when they hit the ground the swing arms pivot and then the pilot his butt hits the ground after the bottom of the frame and then his butt also slams or in his back also slams into the front of the paramotor frame just because the swing arms go from being horizontal to being as far down as possible and see that's what scares the crap out of me i've seen people without this crumple zone and they hit so hard on their butt and and some of them don't even walk away some of them are paralyzed and and some of them break their back and it scares the crap out of me so that's why I was looking for something safe. Now I've seen these other frames and people are, are putting them on a stool what, and, and getting into their frame. What is that all about? Because I've never oh seen, I've never had that. Everybody everybody has those nowadays. Yeah, what is that? Because the angel doesn't need it. No, that's because they're swing arms and the frame is so low, like their harness is actually like sits on the ground or just off the ground. 
And to get in it, you literally have to put your butt, like your butt on the ground and have your legs out in front of you. And then once you get in it like that, you can't really stand up. You're kind of stuck on the ground. You have to do like some really weird, you know, like roll over, you know, and it's depending on how your fuel system is set up. When you lean forward on a lot of frames, the fuel spills out of the overflow on the top, all over the pilot and the harness. Um, it's just, it's really hard getting up with the paramotor on your back, starting with your legs out in front of you and your butt on the ground. Uh, so, the so the solution that people came up with was, <clears throat> and uh, like, I think about, I think about half the people at fly-ins have these stands now. Like for the first couple of years I flew, I never saw a stand in my whole life. And, uh, now all of a sudden everybody's got these stands and, uh, yeah, it's just to, it's just to get that frame up off the ground so they can basically strap it on without having to be with, you know, having their butt directly on the ground. You know, I'm, I, I'm 50 years old and, you know, I'm, I'm not in the best shape of my life. However, you know, putting a, a motor on my back and uh, walking five feet or 10 feet and then all of a sudden I'm in the air, that, that's okay. You know, I, I, that, I can do that. And one of the things I noticed with the angel frame is, you know, I can easily uh, take it off the back of my vehicle, drag it over to where my wing is laid out, clip in the uh, wing to the frame without even being in it. So I don't need to like sit on the ground and pick up. And I've seen people try to clip in with their, with their motor on the back. That just sounds exhausting. And then what I do is, you know, I sit in this nice comfortable chair that's connected to my wing. I clip in and what I really like is the quick release harness. That's like so easy to jump into. And uh, I stand up grab my A's, walk forward, you know, hit the throttle and I'm up in the air. So, I mean, I'm not carrying any weight on my back, but for maybe 15 seconds out of this, this whole ordeal. So, um, I love this crumple zone. That's awesome. I don't have to worry yeah, about, you know, killing myself. It, yeah. And, and, the you know, the crumple zone isn't just from direct impact with the ground, like coming straight down or coming straight in. It also helps you know, the, the crumple zone teamed up with the really strong cage pieces and the comfort bars that stick out in front of you creates almost a safe zone where your hands aren't going to get crushed against your body. Like when you stick your hand out to brace your fall, it's not going to follow through and crush your hand against your body or take all the weight of the motor and the thrust and, you know, whatever energy you have in that maneuver that you just jacked up. You might put your hand out and your hand might touch first, but before all the other forces can hit and take the full effect, part of the frame starts hitting the ground and then that relieves all the impact off your hand. You know my favorite part of the comfort bars? It's when I'm up in the air, they are armrests. I, I stow my brakes, I rest my arms on these comfort bars, which are awesome, and I have my throttle in my hand and I'm just kicking back and I'm moving, you know, I'm turning left and right just with this little bit of a weight shift. I mean, the comfort bars and the fixed hand point seem to be the most comfortable, relaxing way to paramotor. I, I think there's really good arguments to be made that in flight, the fixed hang point is the most comfortable. And since, um, since I've never flown the other ones, I have nothing to compare it with. However... When I can just kick back and it feels like I'm in my lazy boy watching TV, but I'm up in the air, 
Uh, I don't know how it could be any more comfortable. Yeah, because the the fixed pain points are are wider than like the like the swing arms. They come up underneath your arms, and it's kind of and the they can be like leaning up on your side, mm -hmm. like on your lat. And and when they're when you have the fixed system, it's nice and open. Like you have you have room to like slide your butt to one side and look down at your fuel tank. You know you, you have plenty of room. It's and it, Anybody that's flown our frames, no matter what harness they've on, the, like the first thing they say when they land is, I can't believe how comfortable it is in the air. Yeah. So, and we've actually, the first few frames we were selling, people were, they were buying them because they were, they were bigger guys and they wanted more comfortable frames in flight. They just, they felt so constricted with the other frames and they, they, they a lot of I remember one guy he was completely clueless about any of the safety on the frame. All he cared about was the comfort. Right. And um, when I when I dropped the frame off, I was talking to him about like a couple times that I hit the ground, and he's like, "Oh man, like because his buddy had actually broken his back Ouch. hitting the ground." And so I was telling him about you know this and that and this and that, and they're like, "Oh man, so like what happened?" I was like, "Oh oh nothing." And they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah no, I just I just picked up the frame and and." hooked back in and laid my glider back out and then took off again. And, and you know, they're kind of like, Whoa, how is that dude? Because that sounds like a lot bigger hit than I took. And I'm just like, that's, and I started, you know, kind of explaining to him, like you, you bought a frame that's built to be really safe. Yes. It's also comfortable in flight, but it's, it's first feature is, is, is all safe. You know, based off of all the other frames I've flown, this one weight shifts the best. Or I can get the most accurate weight shift out of it, and I can do the tightest turns with weight shift only. So when I go test other people's frames, one of the things I do right after I take off is I, I, I hold my hands up really high. I don't plug the brakes and the magnets because a lot of frames have really, really minimalistic netting, and I don't trust with my hands off the controls. Same way I do on mine. But I go hands up and I just try and weight shift and I see how long it will it weight shift both directions. Um, and how long does it take me to do a full circle and weight shift? Because one of the ways that people counter prop torque, and this is actually the most common way, and it's my least favorite way. Um, I I would actually prefer no no anti-prop torque if this was the only method available. What they do is they offset the pilot from the frame and the motor. That doesn't even sound right. Yeah, well, if you're just gonna fly straight at um, like, you know, one RPM or within a really small RPM range, it's fine. But if you wanna weight shift, when you, when you start offsetting the pilot's weight from the engine's weight, you can only weight shift one direction. Yeah, and, yeah, that that whole thing right there I heard before, and it just doesn't make sense why 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 you would do that. It just it's not and it's not laminar, you know. So right. when you're when you're just cruising, you're actually it's actually trying to counter prop torque that's not there. Like if you're just gliding down, it's trying to counter prop torque that's not there. And then if you're going full throttle, it doesn't counter it enough. It's only it only works at like a certain small RPM range. Whereas when you go with like the ATLs. They're laminar. So if you're not using any throttle, then they're not sucking any air over the ATLs and they're not working. And then if you're going 25% throttle or half throttle or 75% throttle, they're sucking the appropriate amount of air over those ATLs to have almost a perfect um, 
prop torque uh, countering, where it just pre- basically eliminates it. And then after about 80%, you have to start weight shifting a little bit. That's, that's so interesting. Now, you're talking about the netting and uh, and uh, the frame flexing. Why, why is yours so safe with the netting, and why do we not have to worry about the flexing and your arm and your hand going through? Well, we have five individual cage pieces that make up our outside cage, and they're, they all have their own independent netting. So there's a lot, a lot of frames, they stretch netting over a single hoop with support spokes. Ours is a double hoop, and everything's welded together. There's no sliding stuff in to connect the actual outside cage pieces. Each cage piece is already fixed. And then, so our frame is a lot stronger. Our, our individual cage pieces are, I, I, I don't even know what number to throw out there, how much stronger they are than some of the other frames, but it's it's a lot more. I think and I saw on your YouTube channel, you're doing pull-ups on the netting? Yeah, on just one, on just one string. Can, and, is that um, is that is that possible on the on the scout or these other ones? I don't think that's possible on any other frame except for maybe the flat top. Wow, that is interesting. Um, yeah. There might be something else out there that I don't know about, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have seen it at this point. But yes, yeah, so then our netting is 500 pound test Kevlar, and we stretch it very tight. Like we lay it in a jig, we run the line through, and we hang a weight from the end of the line, and we just start pulling the Kevlar over the pop rivets until it's until it's nice and tight uh i'll have to send you a video i have where i did half of it i did like all the the vertical um part of the netting and then i stretched it and then we go back and do the perpendicular crosses and you can actually like play the strings like a guitar that is interesting on your video too did you have a couple of kids play tennis yeah it's that tight it's tight enough to where you can you can go out there on the on the two inch square holes, which is about what the space is between the netting, and it's tight enough and strong enough to where you can volley tennis balls back and forth. That is crazy. Now, now, where can we see this video? Uh, can we go to your main website, which is what SkyTapParamotors.com? Yep, SkyTapParamotors.com or SkyTap Angel is our YouTube channel. Someone has asked me about throttles. Um, now there's bicycle type of throttles out there and I've seen so many different types of throttles. Why do you think the, uh, angel throttle is the best? Because it's the most intuitive and it leaves, you have the most grip with the trigger throttle. So your index finger is your most coordinated finger. And that is the only finger required to operate the actual throttle. And then your other three fingers and your thumb hold on to the grip. And that's similar to anything that's handheld that needs to be moved around, like that's in motion, like a gun or like a weed whacker or um, something on heavy machinery. A good test that you can do, I think that kind of verifies it, is if you hold a bicycle brake throttle in your hand and you grab onto a rope, and I hold a trigger style uh, throttle in my hand, and then I grab onto the rope, just like I would if it was a brake toggle, I'll beat you in tug of war in two seconds, every time. Trigger, the trigger throttle, and you got the bicycle brake 
throttle. Okay. So the bicycle brake throttle, you use your bottom fingers. It might be two of them. It might be three of them to hold, to, to operate the lever to control the throttle. Your brake is held with either your index finger or your index and your middle finger. And that's, that's the bicycle one, right? That's the bicycle brake throttle. And then you'll look over at your hand that doesn't have the throttle in it, and you're holding the brake toggle with your fist. So right there, there's, there's an imbalance because you're holding one with two fingers slightly higher, and you're holding the other hand with a full grip. I can't imagine because I hold that hold the throttle in my hand. Um, I put the the uh, brakes in my pinky and the other in my ring finger, and then my throttle uh, is with my pointy finger and my middle finger. And um, and then when I you know take off, you know I, I reach down and it's easy for me to grab the A's with my thumb because my hand, my three my four fingers are around the grip and around the brake. Yes. And um, so if you look at uh, a bicycle brake throttle, when they're not, when they're trying to be at zero throttle, their whole hand is open. Uh-huh. You know, like they have their, their fingers on the brakes and then they have their hand fully opened, not to hit the throttle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whereas on the trigger throttle, your hand is closed and you only have one finger open, just like, you know, your, your finger safety on the gun. You just have that. You just have your index finger out, and that's no throttle. But you have a full grip with yes. your brake, and you have it on your throttle. Whereas the other one is you have an open, you have an open hand with your brake toggles in your top two fingers, and you're basically supporting the throttle up against the back of your hand with your pinky and your ring finger, and just a slight amount of pressure, so it doesn't slip away. And I don't like that. I like they don't. They don't have locks on theirs either, do they? They have a trigger lock, right? Or no? Some of them do. Oh no, like they don't. They don't have like a, like a like a lock safety like like what we have. No, it's just open. And and also like because it's a bicycle brake, stuff can get stuck underneath that bicycle brake handle. Yeah. Whereas a trigger, there's not a whole lot of things that can get snagged on. Which is what I like. Also, another safety feature. I like that a lot. Yeah, it just it makes sense to me to have, to hold your your throttle with a closed fist with your brake in your closed fist and hold your other hand, your other brake toggle, also with the closed fist. Whereas if you, when you go trigger, you have an open hand holding onto the throttle and you have two fingers holding on to one brake toggle and then you have a full grip on the other brake toggle on the other side. We definitely need to do a video that explains everything that we're doing. And if you guys want to, you can always go to ppggrandpa.com and that goes to my YouTube channel and you can see the videos that I've done so far. Um, one more thing, Andrew, before we go, I know that we're rolling up here almost an hour, that's incredible, is uh, the quick release harness. You know, what is that and why is that so much safer than these other harnesses that I've seen out there? When you, if you land in the water, uh, getting out of the other buckles on the standard harnesses is pretty difficult because under, under pressure, they don't want to open. And with no pressure, they don't want to open either. So you have to you, you have to use basically both hands to get the right amount of pressure to undo the buckle. And there's also four of them. So you gotta get it right on all four buckles and you gotta use both hands on all four buckles. 
whereas the quick release with one hand and one motion you can pull all the straps off of you with the exception of the chest strap if you have that hooked up or not so now i've done it i've i've sat in it and i've done a, a hang point test because you know one of the things when you get a new harness and you put it on a new frame you better hang that whole frame motor and harness to make sure that you are put in there correctly correct yes and when you're doing your hang point that'd be a great way to practice getting in and out of your harness yeah another thing that ties into those comfort bars and that fixed hang point is when you throw the quick release in there it it you automatically get in your seat when now, you lift your feet off the ground you're you're getting in the seat no matter what and that is awesome because I don't need to stow a brake. I don't need to be careful. I don't need to put my hand down and try to lift or find my seat. I find it where I take off, I lift my knees, and I'm still climbing. I haven't done anything but lifted my knees and I'm in my seat. Yep. Yeah, I know. You can go right. You can, like, you can come right out of a launch and go right into a turn and right into a foot drag or whatever, and you're in and out of your seat as quick as you want to be. That is awesome. And that's really safe, too, because... If you're doing a launch and your motor stalls um, right after you get into the seat or as you're trying to get into the seat, that could cause some issues too, right? Yeah, and you know, on our frames, if you're if you're gonna hit hard or if, if it's questionable, we like you to stay in your seat and, and use the crumples up. Don't try and protect the frame with your body. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons too why, like, if you crush that crumple zone, you get it on video. We'll send you another one because we don't want people doing stupid stuff. Like, what? What? Wait, 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 man! I've heard other people break their frame, and it costs a thousand or two thousand dollars to get replacement netting and and all this crap, and it just. And you're saying that if you that if we break it, that if we come down too hard and we break the crumple zone, you'd give us a new piece. Yeah, I just send that mainframe out. Now, is there any other guarantee out there with any other manufacturer that does such a thing like that? I don't think so. Holy crap, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, since I bought the frame, huh? um, I have a lot of protection. Uh, the netting is 500-pound Kevlar, so I don't have to worry about my hands or anything going, even the throttle or something falling in my pocket, or even, even well, let's say that my helmet falls off and falls backwards, it's gonna bounce off the, the netting. I don't have to worry about that going through the prop. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But then I also have these comfort bars. So even if I am walking and I stumble over myself with this thing on my back, I won't get crushed by this motor because the comfort bar will keep it from smashing me, right? Right. Well, I have a hang point that I don't have to worry about a riser twist. This harness has a quick release, so if I come down where I fall in water, or I even turtle, I can quick release and get out without anybody helping me. It's just that quick. Oh, yeah. And, like, uh, you know, a lot of times when you're going to fly, you're like, oh, man, I forgot my phone. And you have to uh, go back and, get, you know, it's either don't bring your phone or you have to go back and get it. And when you can just set the motor down in the field, hit your quick release, run off and get it, and then come back and sit in it and then stand up, that it's a lot better than having four clips that you have to get out of and a motor that you have to have a stand to get into. So you have to walk the motor back over to your stand, take the motor off, go get your phone, 
put the motor back on, walk it back out to the field. Whereas with the Angel, you just leave it there in the field, hit the quick release, run over there, get your phone, come back, you know, a lot faster, a lot easier. I've noticed that. I've done that. And I cannot, like I said, dude, I, I just turned 50 this year and, you know, my legs can't handle, you know, buckling in, sitting on the ground, then trying to lift 60 pounds up, stand up, you know, then bend over and grab a couple of risers and clip in. Dude, mm -hmm. that, that's just too much. I, I can't do that. Yes, it's a lot of it's just it's unnecessary. But it's hard. It's hard going back. So it's it's usually easier. It's nice and easy for people to go to our frame, like with our throttle. If they're used to a bicycle brake throttle, they might be used to it, but it's not natural. You know, like throwing somebody in like a skid steer with bicycle brake throttles, as opposed to like a normal joystick throttle, uh -huh. would, would be confusing. So when they want to come when they come over and they get on our throttles, it's very, it adjusts to them very quick. Like they might be a left-handed bicycle brake throttle and they're like, oh man, I don't know about this trigger right-handed throttle. And it's like, you ever shot a gun? They're like, yeah, we'll hold it like a gun. And it's just natural. So it's real easy to make that switch. And it's real easy to make the switch from when you're used to having, you know, four buckles you have to individually unclip and get out of. And then you get into an angel harness and it's quick release. That's an easy adjustment that people welcome. Going the other way is a lot harder. Like, you won't see a lot of guys with trigger. I've never actually seen it. I've never seen anybody with a trigger-style throttle um, buy a bicycle brake throttle. But it goes the other way all the time. You know, so I sell, we sell a lot of our throttles to people with upper frames just because they, they like the trigger idea. Uh, same with the quick release harness. Once you have the quick release harness and you're used to it, going to a normal harness is it, 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 it usually they never make the transition. They just don't like it. When you lose the safety, but you you also lose how easy it is and how much you know getting in the seat automatically and how much easier it is to get in and out of you know water landings aside. So it's it's cool. You know you don't see a lot of guys going from the fixed hang points to the swing hang points. You don't see them going from bicycle um, from trigger throttles to bicycle brake throttles. You don't see them going from quick release to non-quick release. They all come the other direction. Awesome, man! I, I tell you, I really love this frame, and I really truly appreciate you know you being on this podcast. Now, how can people get up with you as far as like you know they want to go ahead and and get one of these uh, frames? How do they get up with you? Uh, just just reach out to me on Facebook or YouTube or SkyTapParamotors.com. And they search for Andrew Folder. Uh, if you search for SkyTap Paramotors on YouTube, SkyTap Angel on YouTube, or Andrew Fuller on Facebook, or uh, yep, uh, SkyTap Paramotors on Google, we'll get you our website, SkyTapParamotors.com. So if someone says, "Hey, PPG Grandpa sent me," or "I heard PPG Grandpa's podcast." And I want a full setup. What can you do for them? If they if they mention PBG Grandpa when they call me, I'll give them I'll give them two hundred dollars off. Did I lose you? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, somebody just called me. Oh. Uh, it was actually it was Leah Catula. You know the female acro pilot. Yeah. Yeah, her and I just went out towing uh, a couple days ago. Oh, cool. Is she the yeah, one? Yeah. Is she the one that uh, that that um, was dragging your frame and trying to to break it? Yeah, and got in trouble. Yeah, because she was just tearing up the field and not tearing up the frame. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, so we went out on, um, oh, God, I guess it was Friday. We went out, and we, me, and, me and my other buddy, we just got this. It's a used winch, a towing winch, a payout winch. Uh-huh. And we built this big old bracket, and it's new to us. We built this big old bracket, and we put it, we mounted it in a boat, and now we use that winch and a lake to tow each other up to 3,500 or 4,000 feet. And uh, Leah was our Leah's in the club, which is where I do the SIV training, but the private club. And uh, she got to tow all day. We towed her up seven times to about three thousand feet or higher, and she was just out there practicing stalls and tail slides and helicopters. I don't even think I've gone up to four thousand feet or three thousand feet with a motor yet. Oh man, it's a heck of an experience. And you get up there really fast on it when you're getting towed up. Like I'll get you to like thirty five hundred feet in about eight minutes. Wow. And then you pin off and it's completely silent because there's no motor. It's just free flying. And you got two reserves and a rescue boat and a big old lake and it you just get this sense of confidence because there's the environment is so safe. And then if you got somebody on radio with you we can walk you through whatever move, maneuver you want. <clears throat> and if something goes wrong, you throw a reserve. If that doesn't work, you throw the other one. If that doesn't work, then you're still going to land in the water. Sounds safe to me. Yeah. I think you were saying something right before she called about the oil. Oh, yes. So if you leave this, so the synthetic oil is the best stuff you can use. Right. Um, either, what is it, the, the modal? is good or red line is my preference and um i always get the highest temperature stuff i can find but yeah red line seems to be the one if you leave it in there for like six or eight weeks if you leave it longer than eight weeks it will start to gum up your spark plug though oh wow yeah so you just want what i do is if on the rare occasion that there's oil that sits that week i just i dump it and put new gasoline oil in there and what kind of what kind what kind of gas do you use? Ninety three octane. Would you use the non ethanol eighty seven? I I wouldn't. <clears throat> I'm not saying I haven't. Like I've been in pinches in Mexico and Costa Rica before, where they only have eighty seven or eighty nine, and I'll use that and not have problems. But yeah, I always get the highest octane I can find. No, I've, I've been using the uh, non-ethanol, but it's only 87, but I haven't had any problem with it, and it still goes up to full RPMs. Yeah, yeah, it's just the, uh, those numbers are just the ignition delay. Uh, it's, it's a number on how slow the fuel burns. So the higher the number, the slower the fuel burns. Which gives it more power? Yes, because it, it takes a little longer for it to ignite, because the fuel is igniting while the piston is still coming up. And then, and all the air and the fuel are being compressed at the top of the piston. And then it's right after that, when everything expands, when it pushes through that stroke and starts coming back down again, when everything expands, that's where you get the power from. Uh, so there's also Aviation 100. Yep. And I, I, I know some people really de- dedicated to just using Avgas. Uh I've never used it. I fly with plenty of people that only use Avgas. And their motors don't break and my motors don't break. 
Interesting. And my 87 so, so far hasn't broken, so I and guess... I, but I also have all those... All the guys I fly with, I got them on red line 32 to 1. And, um, you know, there's, there's this other guy. I sold this I sold this motor to a guy. He had a completely different engine before that. Completely different company. Not a bit of Rousey. And they tended to have a lot of issues. Um, and I asked him... I was like, hey, man, so you've had this motor for, what, a year, year and a half? He's like, yeah, yeah, so what kind of issues have you had with it? He goes, none. I'm like, what? Are you, are you really? And he goes, nope. And I'm like, what kind of oil do you use? And he's like, Redline. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, what, what mixture? And he's like, oh, 32 to 1. And I'm just like, holy crap. That's Because him and my other buddy were the only two guys I've ever met that never had problems with their, with their engines for that company. And both of them use the same oil and the same ratio. And what kind of gas, though? One used Av gas. And one uses normal 93 octane. So Avgas does not have ethanol, and 93 does. 93 does, but usually your gas isn't in there long enough for it to start breaking stuff down. You know? The other thing, so the non-ethanol yeah. will will draw will draw um, water molecules in, and they'll sit at the bottom of the tank. So that's big for boats. That's why they want to use that for boats. That's why you pay so much more for boat gasoline than normal gasoline. Is because there's so much water around. It's just a high moisture environment, and they have such big. A lot of them have such big gasoline tanks that it'll that it'll draw that water in, and they have to have these fuel water separators or raycores to to get that um, that water out of the fuel. So I used to work on a boat in the Keys that had two outboards, and I think I think we had two 100 gallon tanks. And we'd run three trips a day. So we'd have that boat running for about nine hours a day. And every morning we would we would open up that raycore and drain and we'd always get a, at least a little bit of water out of that fuel. Wow. So so for paramotor and it's not I don't you know, we're we're operating on, you know, three gallon fuel tanks and we're not putting a whole most people don't even fill their fuel tanks up all the way. And then we run through it in an hour and a half, two hours, and then there's fresh fuel in there. So I don't think it's as big of an issue. How about as far as like, you know, what people say about the two-stroke is using the non-ethanol to keep the seals from uh, weakening and deteriorating quickly? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think again, I think a lot of that comes from everything sitting. Ah. But, you know, I, I've never used it and I, I've never really, the only time actually that I had a seal go bad was when I was in Mexico and I was using their like their eighty nine stuff. Oh. And that doesn't mean it was related to that, but it could have been. Like this this motor I have on now, I've had it for a year and a half and I run the I run the crap out of this motor. And I haven't had any issues. No exhaust issues, no seals, no leaks, nothing. And I think in regards to engines and stuff, I think another mistake that a lot of people make is they tinker with their engine too much. You know, they, they actually, they run these engines at the Vitarazzi factory right. before, they, before they box them up. They run them, they pull the spark plug out, they throw the spark plug back in the box, and they send it to you. And, and then we, like, when we sell our engines, we, um, we mount them on a rack and we break them in. And um, we never mess with the carburetor settings. We always check the spark plug to make sure it's a good temperature, and we always make sure... We always make sure it hits the proper RPMs, but we never actually have to tune the carburetor, but we always check. And and the people I've heard with the most engine issues 
are the ones that mess around with their settings the most. Yeah, I think I heard that too. Yeah, like uh, I was sitting around in a truck one day and all these people are talking about all the different stuff they're doing with their engines and they're they're talking about all these like really high temperatures that they're reaching and and I'm like, man, what are you like? And, then, and, what, and I wasn't saying anything because I, I never had any of these issues. And then one of them turns to me and he's like, you know, you ever experienced anything like this? I was like, nope. And he goes, well, what what are your carburetor settings? And I was like, they're they're factory. Like I don't touch that stuff. You don't need to touch it. Right. No, so, because it's it's not easy to get that. It takes some. It takes time to get that spark plug tuned right to get that carburetor tuned perfectly to where it's you got the perfect color on that spark plug right. and once you start messing with it you're gonna have a you know you're only gonna get it just as good as the factory had it you're not gonna get it better well andrew man it was so awesome talking with you and like he said if you say hey andrew i saw this or i heard this podcast ppg grandpa sent me you get $200 off the entire setup, so make sure you get up with Andrew and find out more about that. And real quick, in about 30 seconds, Andrew, tell me all the safety features that are on the Angel frame. Um, we have impact, impact protection from the ground, which is your crumple zone. We have impact protection from the sides and the front, which is your comfort bars, paired up with the strong outside frame and the crumple zone. We have a Quick release harness. We have 500 pound test Kevlar netting. Um, we have a grip safety in our trigger style trigger style throttle, and um, places to put your hands to keep them out of the propeller when you're starting them up, starting it up if it's a ground start. And uh, I think that's about it. That is definitely the reason why I got the Angel Frame. Man, it was so awesome talking with you. And we definitely need to, to hang out and maybe go do some towing. I'm thinking next year I'll have, I'll have my own towboat and I'll probably have a public operation. Oh, man, that would be awesome. Yeah, because, you know, SI, doing SIVs is the single best thing you can do to improve your paramotoring capabilities. There's nothing better. And I definitely want to do that. Man, once again, thank you so, so much. You are a wealth of information. I cannot believe we've talked for more than an hour. That's insane. I know, it feels like 15 minutes. I know, right? It's like we're two little schoolgirls talking on the phone. <laughs> Wait a minute. We better not say that on this podcast. <laughs> All right, man. Have an awesome day, and we will catch you all later. Make sure you go to SkyTapParamotors.com. Search for Andrew Fuller. And you want to find me? Hey, I'm at PPGGrandpa.com. See you next time on Paratalk.org. Waiting on a clip line, whatever we see fit Pilots charging for the lift, like trucker they be sending it If the young or a kid, you wanna look back and wish you did your PPG You down with PPG? Who down with PPG?